some of you guys, because all of us were, a lot of us were in Detroit, 140 of us, and we had 279 gospel seeds planted in the city, which was awesome amongst the Muslim people. And then also we had, uh, it was about 24 follow-ups, so we actually were discipling people. And then also we had two salvations. I know it's not a lot, but we're believing that those 279 uh, gospel seeds that were planted, does that include the airport? I don't know if that includes the airport. No, because I know they were sharing the gospel still in the airport, which was awesome. Way to go, guys. Uh, I'm just super thankful. Our family then uh, took our journey four hours south to Cincinnati, and we went to the Ark and the museum, uh, the Creation Museum. Um, oh, and three baptisms there were. Okay, three baptisms too in our church, which is great. And uh, just so many good, good things that were happening. And it's great to be back in the household of the Lord. And so thankful for this building. Thankful for this church that is allowing us to stay here and to, to be here for some time. I know that uh, we can't really grow much um, as far as numerically. But I know that we're believing that the schools will open very soon so that we can get Uh, into those schools, and we can grow deep and wide as God has been promising us. And so today is a message that you want to pay attention to because I believe that we are going to need it someday uh, and that you want to probably place it in your back pocket uh, at some point or hide it in your heart, as the the scriptures say. But today we're going to talk about enduring persecution. Uh, And that is, I believe, a timely message, but at the same time, uh, we did experience some persecution. Some of you guys did in Detroit. Uh, people yelling at you, uh, following you, and all sorts of things like that. But everyone's safe. We all made it home safely. It's all good. But we know that we are going to be heading in to a time of persecution. Um, and that is, is good because we know that the church always strengthens. It always, it always becomes stronger as a result of persecution. What we don't want is we don't want a comfortable church that begins to implode. We want an uncomfortable church that begins to explode. Okay? That's, that's what happens as you look at the book of Acts. They were never at a place of comfortability. Therefore, God used persecution to always grow the church. And that's what we're believing for. And we know that those days are coming. Even though I, I had a, I, I told Nicole, I was like, pray for me this morning because sometimes these messages are so timely. It's just, it's crazy how God's led us. But you know what? After, after just wrestling with the scriptures this week and, and kind of reviewing it this morning, I'm convinced more than ever that this is timely. The word of God always preaches. It always is relevant all the time. So during the first and third century, if you guys study church history, you know that these Christians uh, look like nothing today, right? Thrown to lions, right? They were used as human torches. They were also thrown to, uh, or it said that wild animals, they were crucified. Uh, they were, it was horrific, but they always died peaceful. They died so peaceful because they've lived, as you read even Hebrews, I was, uh, this morning as I was, when we were worshiping, I just read, felt like God was said, just turn to Hebrews 11. And just, again, reading Hebrews 11, such a powerful story, but, you know, there's, there's all these, uh, you know, towards the end, it's incredible, like, they, they just chose faith through the whole chapter, and then at the end, they still chose faith, even though they died a martyr's death, sown in, uh, a sawn in two, I mean, it's some pretty horrific things, and they never got to really see the fullness of the promises, but they now are on the other side of earth, they're in heaven right now, seeing Jesus face to face, 
So in one sense, they did get to see the fulfillment of that promise. Um, persecution never, ever, listen to this, never destroys the church. You need to know that this morning. That when we endure persecution, whether it's at the workplace, whether uh, it's out on the streets and evangelism, it never destroys the church. That is always Satan's plan. He thinks, he always plays his cards. It always comes, always backfires on him, right? He thinks he's destroying the church and snuffing out the light of the gospel, but it always backfires, right? It actually causes the church to grow. And so there's different uh, ways that the enemy uh, uses different tactics. But listen to this quote. I love this quote. It says, the church in the West rarely faces this kind of persecution that I just mentioned earlier. The attacks come more subtle. Instead of threatening the body, Satan's persecutions today aim at the ego. They threaten our selfish pride, need for acceptance or status. Satan has largely destroyed the spiritual effectiveness of the church without having to kill the individual believers in it. In fact, letting believers live self-centered, complacent, apathetic, worldly lives is more effective in keeping people from being attracted to the Christian faith than killing them. Martyrs are respected for their strength of character, but compromises are despi- compromisers are despised. Uh, early church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I doubt that any one of us is probably going to be killed literally physically for our faith. But I believe days are coming where we will be persecuted. And maybe that persecution is saying something that you're going to lose your job, right? You're going to, and, and you're going to you know, maybe be ostracized, maybe cut off from your family. Perhaps all sorts of different things. Maybe even in this church being persecuted in the church because maybe people have different views. But what I've seen, though, in the last you know, so many years, I think we've had it really good as a church. I think we've had it really good as a nation. I think we've had it really good, and we're starting to train our minds that way. In fact, I would say that even this week, I've had to even repent like many other evangelicals because what we've done is we've fused evangelicalism and political conservatism. We've merged them, and we're paying for that now. And so we will be paying for that from years to come. But at the same time, what I'm saying is it's not about political this. and pol- it's, In fact, don't even pay attention to that stuff because we have a king. We have King Jesus. And we all know that. But what we're going to do is we're going to stand for righteousness as a church, and we're going to be persecuted because of it. There's going to be a shift, and the shift is we're going to be persecuted for standing up. For when there's righteousness in the land, we look somewhat the same. When there's no righteousness in the land, we're going to look incredibly different. Now, there lies the choice for the church. Do we stand with righteousness in the, in, in, in the scriptures? We're going to look totally different. And because of that, we're going to annoy <laughs> the world around us. We're going to prick them. We're going to be a constant prick. Right? And that prick is going to cause them to persecute. Now, listen. The battle is not against flesh and blood, as the Bible says, right? Ephesians 6. But it's against the spiritual forces behind the scenes. So the attack is not against people. That's why the Bible says don't slander people because that is an offense towards God. 
But when we actually slander them, what we're saying is, oh, man is still the ones causing all the ruckus. No, no, no. Behind the scenes, that's why we need to pray because that's the only thing that's going to change things is through prayer. We need to start today. If you're not used to praying, if you're used to, hey, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, you need to pray. Now is the time to pray. In fact, we should have been years because that's the only thing that's actually going to change. So we are going to be heading into times of persecution because the days, the Bible said, are beginning more, beginning more evil, becoming more satanic in nature. And we need to be a people who stand for truth. And when we do, there's going to be persecution. And when there's persecution, we're actually going to get stronger as a church. We always win. <laughs> it's almost like not fair. It's like we're always winning. I mean, just, it's amazing. But you have to mentally believe that you're winning. Because if you don't, you're going to walk around defeated. And no one's going to listen to your message. We need a message with power. And that message of power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is on the throne now. Right now as we speak. Yes, the God, small g, of this world has blinded many people from the gospel and the glory of Jesus. But through prayer, those blinders come off. And that's what we're believing for. You know, Jesus warned his followers to not be surprised at persecution when it comes. Like as if some strange thing's happening to you. Don't believe one bit of that. John 15, 18 through 20 says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hates Jesus, and therefore, as followers of him, they hate us. And if they don't hate us, we're probably not living in the light. But when we're living in the light, they hate us. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, us. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. It's not fun to be hated. But I think you got to get used to it in the days to come. And, you know, I think that's when we need to overcome in our secret place. Matthew 6, we need to close the door. And we need to deal with insecurities. We need to deal with, hey, if somebody hates us because... We're living for the Lord. For, if we're suffering for righteousness, that's one thing, and it's different to suffer for unrighteousness. In other words, if we just, you know, hurt our brother, if I were to hurt our brother and I go into a secret place and I feel all insecure and I feel like, oh, I'm probably hated, the Lord's saying, well, I don't think you're hated, but you, you're, you're being, you're, you're, the feeling you're having is because you've offended your brother and you need to reconcile. But if you're suffering because of righteousness, because you're doing right, oh, praise God, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed, meaning happy, that the Lord is promising that happiness. Hey, remember that song? It just, just sang it. It makes me happy when you're persecuted. <laughs> it's not just he's making you happy just because he wants to make you happy. That's for heaven. There's a difference between joy and happiness. In fact, I think it'd be better off to say that, in one sense, joy. But happy are those, blessed are those who are persecuted. How many of you guys have been persecuted because of righteousness? How does that make you feel? And I'm not talking about inside the house. I'm talking about when there's external pressure. When there's external pressure outside the house, 
we actually unify and get stronger. When there's internal pressure inside the house, offense, that actually disunifies the church and weakens the church. And I think I make an argument easily, I'd win. Eight months, over the last eight months, we've probably experienced more of the internal pressure. The hatred of one another has nothing to do with outside the church, the external persecution. And because of that, we've been weakened. But now we're getting stronger because God, this, this, and I'll tell you, if you went on that trip, you're, it's, we miss those who couldn't go. I mean, I, I know some people are having a baby. Some people just couldn't come. But what a, rest, what a restorative time together. Would you not agree? It was unbelievable. I just kept thinking, I'm like a kid, like just watching the Lord just do his thing as he's done for so many years with us. He really has done an amazing thing with us. We're, we are a very unique church, and it really is powerful don't ever, t- I mean, just like Pastor Joan said on Sunday morning, if you, if we, all the teachings are online. I mean, he, he kind of smacked everybody around a little bit. It's great to think about guest speakers, you know. It's like, I didn't say it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> I'm just so thankful for him. Uh, really, people are like, did you pay him to do that? Nope, not one dime. Uh, I, I think I was only on the phone with him for about 20 minutes. I don't even know him. I've never met him before. Uh, just family, Antioch family, and just so thankful for him and thankful for what he, what he brought from Ephesians 4 that morning of unity, protecting the unity that we have here. To not forget what God has done for the last eight years. It's been absolutely amazing. By the way, we've grown, whether Democrats are in or the Republicans are in, we've grown as a church. It doesn't really matter. We're going to stand for righteousness, and we're going to be persecuted because of it. And when we are, we'll grow. Will strengthen as a church with all external pressures, always strengthen the church inside, and we always expand outside. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, it's unfair. It really is. It's by the grace of God. I mean, it's really, I want you guys to know that just, it, it should cause you to erupt with pressure. It should cause you to demand Ricky to come up here and go into another time of worship. Why aren't you demanding him to do that right now? Demand him to do that. <laughs> so, so, but it really does. It should provoke you to say, that's not fair. By the grace of God, we win because of his grace and his mercy. The church, he loves the church, and uh, Kevin's forcing him up there right now. He's forcing him to come up. <laughs> Violent men take the kingdom by force. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what that passage means. <laughs> John 16, 2, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering a service to God. So the Muslims do. They think they're doing right. They think they're doing righteous things. But ultimately, they're not. They're working for Satan. Every other religion on the planet, there's only two religions, Satanism and Christianity. And every other religion on the planet has its father, the father of lies, in Satan. Hinduism, Satan. Muslim, a Mormon, they're all created by the devil. That is the most offensive thing I could possibly say. Oh, well, I, I just, he said, he said it, <laughs> not me. The Lord said it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father and goes to heaven except through Jesus. 
That's it. That was my favorite passage in college. It was John 14, 6. One of my favorites. Matthew 6, 33. And, that, and John 14, 6 are my favorite passages in college. They're all today. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way, listen, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you desire to live a godly way, well, you know it's coming. If you desire to live like the world, well, it says in John 15, they'll like you. It's their message. You're embodying their message. They'll like you. They'll high-five you. Watch. Watch in the next so many months and years. Watch how evil will come together. Evil will come together. You will never, you will never see unity like you have in the next so many years. Unbelievable unity, but it's not biblical. It's satanic. It's satanic unity coming together under a false message of unity. And you'll see it. But the Bible also says there is a biblical unity, and that is only happens when people come together under John 14, 6. When there's truth. The only, there's only one kind of biblical unity, and that is when John, John's, I, look, John 17 is the most profound passage in the Bible. Why? Because Jesus is on the brink of death, right? He's, he's sweating blood, and he's praying to his father one thing, that my church would be unified. How does that happen? Not, mirac- not myst- mystically. It happens when, and, and it says in John 17, 17, it says, my word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. I've been saying that for months now. That that's the only way that we can be unified is to know God's love for us and to be sanctified in the truth of the message of Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. To be unified under that. That's the only way. So any other unity, just reject it. It's, not, it's false. There's so many different kinds of unity. And I want us as a church to be under the biblical unity. First, Timothy, uh, First Peter 2.21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, listen, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. We not only get to partake in Philippians, it says, partake in the resurrection, but also his sufferings. Christians who live godly, Christ-centered lives will come into conflict with this satanic world. We will come, perhaps, and then so many on campus when we share the message of Jesus. It's going to happen because there's so many competing things happening in the scriptures right now, or in the world right now. I mean, whether it's gay marriage, even for that matter. And I'll, I'll give you guys. There's a YouTube video. I'm, I'm not going to show the video, but I'll, I'll I'll give you guys the transcript of it. It's profound. But also, there's you know what the the transgender laws and all these other things that are happening, if you begin to speak against that in the workplace, you're going to be fired. There's hands down, no, no doubt about it, unless there's a godly man or woman in charge. But those days are coming. And what are you going to do? You got to think about that now. What are you going to do? How are you going to take care of your family? What job are you, you know, what are you doing now to prepare for those days? That to say Jesus is Lord. I mean, gosh, one of the people in our church just said, what, female or something. And, and he's almost got fired for that. It's amazing to me. But this going to happen. You know what you're seeing right now? You guys, I'm telling you, re- memorize Romans 1, 18 through 30, 32, I think it is. Memorize it. 
you will see in the next so many years that passage come alive because God is literally giving us over, the world, over to their sin. And people are going to cheer it. It says at the end, they give a hearty approval for those who actually do these things. And if you go against that, you, you can't even be silent. You won't be able to be silent. If you're silent, it, it'll, it'll, it'll literally speak volumes. Before, you could be silent, but I don't think you're going to be able to be silent anymore. I don't think you will. So we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our church, strengthen our church during this time, God. And let's be hopeful. But we know these days are coming. In the same sense, we can be hopeful, not hype, not, not, not hype hope, <laughs> but real true biblical hope. That's what we need. All right. So our passage, Acts 4, <laughs> 1 through 31. <laughs> we're going to make it. We will make it through it. We will. As they were speaking to the people, the priests... And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came about to about 5,000 people. So here are the cast of characters. So I just want to bring you in maybe uh, for a, a bit here to the background. The priests where there's 24, so the priests in this passage, there's 24 divisions, and basically they had a rotational basis for the morning and evening prayers. So they were greatly disturbed because it's almost like they finally got their chance and opportunity to do the, 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 the sacrifices, and then they, these people came in and started preaching this new message. And so the captain of the temple guard, he was the, uh, the priest in charge, of the, basically the temple police force. Uh, they were just ranked right under the, the high priests. And so they were the, kind of the second in command. And then the Sadducees, which are, you've heard of them before, but these are one of the four sects, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Essenes, uh, which are kind of like the ascetics. The Zealots were uh, kind of against Rome, um, and uh, they would kill even uh, Roman governors. They'd try to overthrow Rome. But they, these people, they accepted the first five books of the Bible. The rest of the uh, Old Testament was, uh, you know, they took it, but maybe not as uh, heavily as the book of, or the five books of Moses, which is the Pentateuch. And then also, they did not believe in the resurrection. Um, you know that from the Gospels, where they would challenge Jesus over and over again, uh, and he gave this little, uh, basically, discourse on the resurrection to prove them wrong, and that's what ultimately brought uh, Jesus to his death because he kept proving them wrong, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But they, uh, they did not believe in re rewards and punishment, uh, angels or demons. They're basically like the modern-day liberals today. They're liberal theology. That's basically who they were. They had, they're very liberal in their theology. So John 11, she can bring you in on just a, a bit here. John 11, 47 to 48. Therefore, the chief priests or the Sadducees and the Pharisees convened at a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were, uh, they were wealthy landowners. And anybody that would oppose Rome, they would go after because they wanted their stuff. It was, they were playing a political game all day long, even though under the name of God. Sound familiar? All right. 
They were greatly disturbed for a few reasons. One, they were untrained. Uh, the, in verse 13, which you'll see, it's a very famous passage, uh, Acts 4.13. They were untrained men. These guys were super, they were trained. They, were, they had uh, much schooling. And then these guys show up untrained, heal this man who is born basically lame. And, and without a doubt, he was standing right there as a witness the whole time just saying, I'm here. <laughs> I, I've testified to this miracle and this message of Jesus. And they were greatly offended by that. Of course, they were from Galilee. And John 1, 46 just says that they were, uh, that nothing good came out of Galilee. Uh, nothing good came out of Nazareth. Proclaiming, uh, they were also proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. And then they just threw them in jail uh, that night uh, just so that they can, they, ne- had, they never had nightly trials. And so they just put them as a holding cell. And the next morning they would uh, convene together. So in verse, uh, I want to basically go through, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible, but I want you to write down, there's seven different ways to handle persecution or to endure persecution well, okay? Number one is they, they humbly submitted to authority. Guys, this is key. We've got to have an attitude of submission. Otherwise, the persecution won't count. Right? In other words, they could persecute for our faith, but then all of a sudden, if we react in a way that is, uh, you know, arrogant, or we begin to slander, and we begin to, you know, act in an evil way in the name of, hey, we're, we're persecuted, we're, look at us, then it doesn't count. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work against us, and now we're going to suffer for doing wrong, as the Bible says. It says in 1 Peter 2.18, it says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there? Guys, there's credit. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes you feel like, man, is, there gonna be, is this even worth it? Does anybody even see anything? Is there any worth? You may not receive the credit here, but you'll receive the credit there. You will. There is credit. You are storing up treasures in heaven and crowns in heaven. God will make sure every persecuted believer gets rewarded. When you sin, okay, so it says, uh, for what credit is there if when you sin and harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that when you follow in his steps, he who committed no sin was, I'm sorry, for he who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. What a great example. If you're ever confused and wondering how to actually act in the midst of opposition, look at Jesus. He did it perfectly. And we won't do it perfectly. Maybe outwardly we'll even do it perfectly, but maybe inwardly we're like, you know, but God will deal with that part of our heart as well. Jesus didn't do just the outward. You know he did it inwardly as well because he ultimately said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And that's why he ultimately went to the cross is to forgive all of us of our sin, all those who had hatred even towards him. So while suffering, he did not threaten but he kept entrusting himself, this is the key, kept trusting himself to him who judges righteously. 
And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. So on the next day, their rulers, verse 5, the next day on their ruler, the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas and a high priest was there and Cephas and John and Alexander, all who were high priestly descent, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or what name have you done this? They were willing to go before the leaders. And this is exactly what Jesus said he would do. He would, he would give us the words. We don't have to worry about the words. Sometimes we anxiously wonder. Now, here's the deal. The next verse says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you got to have the word of God in you. So it's not that you don't spend any time in the word and then go before the rulers and be like, all right, just, what, is, what does the Bible say? Jesus said, I will remind you everything that I said and taught. There's no reminding for the things that you don't have in your memory bank. Therefore, you got to be in the word. Because you'll respond like the world if you're not in the word. We need to be in the word. And then the promise of Luke 12, 11 to 12 says, the Lord Jesus Christ had told his disciple that when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, which literally just happened, which is amazing, the testifying to the trueness of Scripture, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? To be close to Jesus. What does it mean to be close to Jesus? To be in his word. It's one of the same it's actually the same thing, and we've said over and over in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3.16, be filled with the Word of God, both as a result of ever, after Ephesians 18 and after Colossians 3.16, was the, it's the same exact fruit. So we can make an argument that those who are filled with the Spirit are filled with the Word. If we're filled with the word, we're filled with the spirit. If we're filled with the spirit, we're filled with the word. That's the same. ESPN. There it is. The reason why, guys, we won't be able to endure persecution well is because we're not going to be, because we're not filled with the spirit. That's the only reason. If we react negatively or harshly towards people that are persecuting us, it just shows us we're actually not filled with the Spirit. But if we're filled with the Spirit, we will act graciously towards our leaders and towards people on the outside of the church. There always has been persecutors. Always. Even in the times of Moses. There always has been. There always will be. The difference is, are we going to be a spirit-filled church? So number two, not only just be, uh, uh, or number two is be filled with the spirit. We need to be filled with the spirit. Just think last time when you were not, when you, when last time that you were persecuted, whether it's on campus or whether it was in Detroit or wherever it was, was there anger in your heart? Was there frustration? Was there, a, was there a place where you're like, man, God, get them? Was there a place in your heart that uh, you wanted revenge? You wanted to show them something, a thing or two? Or did you just 
pray for them? And did you respond like Jesus and saying, Lord, they, they literally don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They, they literally don't know. In fact, I was there at one time. Right? You were there. We all were there. Perhaps you were like, literally like Saul. One day you were persecuting the church, and the next day you got rocked by Jesus. And you're forever this, never the same. You were n- never the same. <laughs> I want you to, I don't want to go so quick to, to move on to these next points because this is really important, actually. It's very simple. If we react well, Biblically, it means it shows that we're in our word and we're obeying our word and we're walking in step with the Spirit the whole way through. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man had been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. There's actually nothing wrong with, they said there's nothing, was there anything wrong with healing a, a man who's born lame? I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. They actually, the third point is they actually were bold and they spoke the truth. So verses 18 to 13, I'll just read uh, the rest here. It says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people that by the name of Jesus the Nazarene, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone, speaking of Jesus, he is the stone which was rejected by you. He's really preaching now. The builders by which, <laughs> but which came the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, and were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You know, submission is not being a coward. We need to know that. Sometimes we think, oh, that's just so weak. I feel like I'm giving in. No, 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 no. Please, watch your emotions. It is not giving in to the enemy by submitting to God. When we submit to God, we understand that he's in control. He is in total control, and he's wanting us. He has a plan that, unbeknownst to us, he's got a whole plan behind the scenes. They took this opportunity. They placed, Peter placed, Peter and John, they placed their trust in God, sovereign will of God, and they use this opportunity to preach the gospel. And if they got angry at the outset, what do you think you're doing? We're just healing. If they, they just, they would never have an opportunity. They would probably have been beaten, thrown in prison, and had no opportunity to preach the gospel to these religious people. They took the opportunity because of two things. One, they submitted, and two, they were filled with the Spirit. And they also, but at the same time, being submitted and being filled with the Spirit does not mean that you don't speak the truth boldly. You see, the enemy can twist so much in these moments, and they happen so fast, right? Sometimes we're like, hey, we just need to submit. We need to be quiet. We need, you know, Jesus was quiet too before, you know. No, no, no. We need to be bold. There's a lot of yous in this passage. You killed Jesus. And 
But there was still a submitted, there was still a way that they, they did it with kindness. The Lord knows. Now, now they might have taken this as like, whoa, this guy, what a, you know, what a jerk, whatever. They can, the world could call us all sorts of names. Now, if we're a jerk, then they have a right to call us a jerk. But when, when we're preaching truth and it pricks them, they will call us names. It says the insults and all these things. But we're honoring God in it, and he will help his cause for his benefit in expanding the kingdom in that opportunity. Isn't that amazing? We trust him. In Psalm 118, I'm going to get a little theological on you. In Psalm 118, 22, a stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now understand this. They were, the Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and a bunch of religious people. Uh, rulers, chief priests, elders, family heads, scribes. It was a group of people with different parties, if you will. And they put these, uh, uh, basically, they, they put the, the apostles in the middle and they called this the Hall of the Hewn Stone. They, they put them in the center, and they, were, they, they did right. Because what was happening was this man was healed, and then that, that healing actually affirmed the message of Jesus. And this was a big deal. This could really take them out virtually. And they were afraid of that. They were jealous. They were afraid, and they were threatened by, by these people. So they put him in the center, and by law, my Mosaic law, in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, we've read so much of it about false prophecy, etc. But if people, if they uttered prophecy and it led them away from God, then they had a right to stone them. So they were doing it right. They brought him in the center, and they were saying, look, if you guys, they believe that this message would lead people away from God. And you know what Peter was doing? He's saying, no, 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 we're not leading people away from God. We're leading to God. You're leading people away from God. That's what ultimately was happening here. Now, you could almost feel the tension, right? That's what it felt. That's what was actually happening here. The world is going to think, listen now, the world is going to think that you're leading people away from love. Listen, are you paying attention? They're going to, see, listen, listen. The, only, the, the, the enemy is the biggest legalist on the planet. He's a legalist. He's righteous. He's a self-righteous person. Well, he's not a person. He's a fallen angel. But on either side of whatever political party or whatever religion there is, at the core of religion is self-righteousness. Like I said, there's only two religions. And the Sadducees, they had their religion. And you know what? The, our world right now, guys, when you look at it, Oprah has her own religion, right? You could go down the list. All the news anchors, which is 90%, they control 90% of the, the, the U.S. media, they have their own religion. They're not doing things just because. They're doing things because they think that they are right. So these Pharisees brought him in the center and said, you're leading people away from God. You're leading people away from, Christian, or from, from true biblical, uh, in their sense, not Christian, but through biblical religion. You're leading people, you're leading, and we've got to be the protectors of society. Now you understand, are you picking up what I'm putting down, right? Are you picking it up? This is going to happen. It is not going to be, oh, I think this is this grand idea to wed gay couples. No, no, no. It is going to be, this is the right 
way to live. This is what I define as the world love. And we're going to waltz right in there and say, wait, hold on. This isn't love. You're destroying people. Like for an eight-year-old to pick his, his or her sex and to have a change at eight years old, because that's going to be legal soon here, to have eight, for an eight-year-old to pick, I'm just trying to think, of, Ella's eight, or she's nine. I wish she was eight, but she's nine. Um, she, <laughs> but she's, can you, I can't even imagine her just saying, you know, this is what I want to be. And for the parents to believe this lie of this is anti-love to tell my child who I birthed that they can do whatever they want. There is going to be a redefinition of love like you've never seen before. This, there is going to be such a redefinition you won't even, that's why you've got to get in the word. You've got to know what true love really is because there's, that is not love for two parents to say, waltz right into Planned Parenthood. You can't, you can't, that is not love, that is hate. Because the father says, those who don't discipline their kids, hate them. What we're actually seeing is hate, which is interesting, isn't it? That everybody's saying, oh, you hate every, no, no, I'm sorry, you hate. You hate. Because let me tell you what the biblical definition of love is. That they would look like Jesus, the perfect one. You're going to get killed for that. Kevin already uh, said during the prayer time in the morning, he said he's, he, uh, he, he can't wait to go to jail. So <laughs> It's coming, Kevin. It's coming. Sons of thunder. <laughs> Kevin and his brother, Felipe, sons of thunder up there. They're ready to go. You see him through the glass thing, you know, Sons of Thunder, they're talking through the glass thing. Man, we got to, come on, man, we got to. <laughs> there it is. Okay. All right. But I love this. Peter literally turns it on the religious people like this. It's amazing. Matthew 21, 43 to 44 says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and be given to a nation, he's talking about the religious people, and will be given to a nation that will produce fruit, us, the church, be taken away from Israel and given to the church. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but it will crush the one whom it falls. When we preach the truth, they could either accept it or they will trip over and fall and they will be crushed by the rock of truth. Utterly destroyed. That is not, that doesn't mean that we're like, yeah, come on, crush them. We just know that that's the reality. And that is what's going to happen. They will be crushed. And, but we need to maintain a place of love, desiring, like God, here, here, like God, that nobody perish. That is his heart all the time. Now, God could be, he's going to be right. He will make all things right. But at the same time, in the same person, he doesn't desire that they go to hell. That is our God. That's who we serve. But this one, the, basically the, the cornerstone is the, uh, is the stone on the bottom, so to speak, just in layman's terms, without getting too technical. And then the capstone is the, is the complete, uh, is, the, is the stone on the top to complete the building. So the, the stone that they rejected became the foundation and the complete full picture of Christianity through Jesus Christ, the complete gospel, the truth. 
Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the beginning of our faith, the finisher of our faith. So it just it literally, the, the, that which they will reject will crush him. That's what Peter's saying. Isn't that amazing? That's the confidence we have. Oh, you think you're rejecting our message? It will ultimately destroy you. Now, we don't necessarily need to say that. Pick and choose. But, but biblically speaking, Peter did. So it's, it's fair game. But you have to use wisdom and know your audience. Because if you read in the book of Acts, if they didn't have a biblical foundation, like in Acts 17, what did, what did Paul do? He preached creation to Christ. If they had a biblical foundation in the synagogues, they preached the Old Testament to Jesus. We got to know our audience, and there's wisdom there. We need to know who's who. We can't just start spewing Bible passages and we're right, we're right, we're right. It's not about we're right. By the way, you're not right, he's right. And he gave you the truth that will set you free and them free. It's outside of us. Some say that you could stand on the truth. Like, are you, there's this one conversation that R.C. Sproul talks about, and he's talking about like standing on the truth. You could stand on the truth. But really, the reality is you stand under the truth. We're people who stand under the truth because we understand that it's, it's not ours. We're under it. We're under the Bible. We're under the truth of Jesus. Okay. All right, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8 says, In coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, which is Jesus, precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. The precious value then is for you who believe but for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone and a stone of a stumbling, stumble, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. I'm sure Peter probably said after, you know, as he wrote this epistle one day, probably remembered the, the message before the Sanhedrin, and he wrote this. Verse 12, Jesus, he's the capstone. He isn't going anywhere, and you can't get rid of him. <laughs> you can't get rid of Jesus. And that's the wonderful thing, that he will prevail, as it says in John 14, 6. We're preaching a very exclusive gospel to an inclusive world, and we need to understand that. We need to, every place that we go to, they're looking for someone to say, God, your God is tolerant. But the reality is he's not. Our God is not tolerant towards evil. He will judge evil, always. I love this. I ran across this YouTube video uh, the other day, and then I thought I would, would use this. But there's a UK couple that defended their reason on a morning news show. You might have seen it, that uh, why they don't allow unmarried couples uh, and gay couples to share a bed in their B&B. The couple, I, 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 they're old. First of all, I, I wanted to show it because I can't do the English accent very well, but... Um, <laughs> And they, they're just, it, it's an older lady. She's probably in her 60s, and her husband's just sitting there like, there's, there's my babe, you know. Like, and it's, it's really good. And plus, it's from England, so it's like they're, they're a pretty godless nation for the most part. 
And, and I, I just, I love this. So the couple uh, it responds with, it's a completely biblical-based, uh, that's why they're standing behind this, because the Bible, the host says, surely the God you worship is tolerant, a loving God. People are in a civil partnership who are in love with each other, so what's wrong with them sharing a bed? The couple says, see, it's a myth to believe that. God is loving, and God is a forgiving God. And the host comes in, uh, uh, interjects, and says, but a tolerant one, but a tolerant one, right? He is, but the couple says, or I mean, the, the, the woman says, he is long-suffering and not entirely co- tolerant because the Bible is full of cases when God finally does bring judgment upon us that we, and, and she, I'm sorry, says finally brings judgment upon us and then we, and we wanted to live as far as possible according to the instruction and the Bible is clear. I, sorry, I got that transcript a little off there. I'm sorry. But then the host says, it's 2013. Why do you, this is a new age. This is a new time. I mean, I understand the Bible, but it's a pretty ancient book. I love this answer. God hasn't changed. Jesus says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. The Bible hasn't changed. We are all, we are wrong and living a dream (laughs) if we think he has changed his laws to suit us because that's not the case at all. I mean, you could almost feel it. You just feel it on that. It's like a little awkward for me to watch. I'm like, ooh. But that was 2013. That was seven years ago, almost eight. And nothing's changed. In fact, if anything, it's only gotten worse. Number four, obedience, no matter what the cost. In verse 14, it says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For in fact, that a noteworthy miracle has actually taken place through them, apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, so it, notice the word it. They can't even mention the name Jesus. They can't even mention the gospel. It, so it will not spread any further among the people let us warn them not no longer to no longer to any man in, uh, to speak no longer in any man to any man in this name and when they had summoned them they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John answered and said to them whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to to you rather than to God you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard Verse to verse 22, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on the account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what, they had, for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. They could not deny it, but they wouldn't accept it. That's how hardened they were. In fact, it actually said, as I was studying this this week, that the Sanhedrin should have defended the fact that there is no resurrection. They actually couldn't. There was, in one sense, you can make an argument that they believed it. That they actually probably believed it, but because they loved power, they would not accept it. Because they were threatened of their position, their power. Now understand, there's a biblical principle here for all of us. We shouldn't hate our bosses if we get fired. We have to understand the principle of this world. We have to understand how the world system works. 
It works this way. It works politically in that sense. And we have to understand if we lose, don't hate your boss. You could hate the system. God hates the system. But there's a system, guys, that's been going on for 2,000 years. Nothing has changed. Nothing has. We could say, yes, it's gotten worse. Yeah, in some sense. But the reality is nothing's changed. And if we live a godly life, we will be persecuted. That's what he promises. In fact, these people were so hardened. And why we say, John 3, 19, this is why, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. That's the only reason, guys. You're an offense to the world because they begin to feel, you know, the only way you can kind of understand that to a bit, do you know as a Christian, sometimes when you see a brother living a certain way, just, not, they're not flawless, but they're living a certain way, they're living a godly life, it convicts you, doesn't it, if you're not living that way. This has nothing to do with Christian, non-Christian, but we can understand that, right? If you, if, let's just say you're living that life, you're growing, you're going deeper in Jesus, you're excited, you're passionate, and all of a sudden your roommates are starting to give you a hard time. In one sense, you can be persecuted inside the house. But God's saying, why? That's not what it's for. But it, it, that principle is so strong, that biblical principle is so strong that it even works inside the house. But we've also been on the other side how that makes us so uncomfortable because we're watching our brother and sister give their life fully to the kingdom and we're not living that way. But you know what? I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service here or the end of the message to repent of that for having envy and jealousy towards your brother. It shouldn't happen in the house. And that God would bring a level of external persecution and pressure so that he would unify this church. And he would strengthen this church to a degree we've never experienced before. You know, we always pray towards the end of this. We always pray for this, you know, and the, and the foundation shook. Oh, God, we just want an earthquake to happen. No, no. You're crazy. There's not going to, that's not what that's talking about at all. There was such power and unity because there was external pressure and they handled it so well that the Holy Spirit exploded that church like it never had seen before. We won't experience that unless certain things happen. We can't just have a prayer night and just believe, all oh, that's going to kind of happen. There's got to be some things that happen before you get there to that prayer meeting. All right, well, I'm going to s- skip a few things here for your benefit. <laughs> but I, okay, so I, but I, I love this. They literally, the disciples, they created like the, the worst nightmare for these religious people. What if we created the worst nightmare for this city and our nation? As it said in Acts, you know, that they literally turned the world upside down. They caused the world to go into a frenzy. They did not know what to do with these people. They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't arrest. I mean, even with John, they tried to boil the guy. They can't, I mean, they just had exile. They just get him out of my sight, please. Just get him out of here because I can't even look at him. They didn't even know what, they didn't know what to do because they live so incredibly different. You know, as the dark, and and God's going to help us out, by the way, because the darkness is going to increase. But all the while the darkness increases, so will the light, as it says in Isaiah 60, 1 and 3. That is the promise of the Lord. It will. 
1 Corinthians 9, 16, for I preach the gospel and I have nothing to boast about for I'm under compulsion to, for woe is me if I don't preach. May we all have that heart. 1 Peter 3, 13 to 15, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Begin to set apart Jesus as Lord in your hearts. Do that now and always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. If they don't ask you to give an account, it's because you look the same. If, you, if they don't actually ask you, well, man, no one's asking me anything. It's because you look the same. If we look different, they're gonna ask. And now is the opportunity to actually stand before like it and and hear God speak through you to them in a profound, amazing way that would allow them to hear this good news. In other words, guys, what I'm saying is people, some people in this earth will never hear the good news unless we take the persecution. It's just the way it goes. It's the way God set it up. Yes, that people can hear the gospel when the sun's shining but often they hear the gospel more when it's stormy. And we need to prepare, be prepared for that. They could not refute the resurrection. It was true, and it is true today. I think we're, what, oh, number five, commit it, be committed to the family. Don't isolate. It's the worst thing you can do is isolate. The worst thing you could do is, is find, just hide and not tell anybody. What did they do? Verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their, to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Oh, what joy. Can you believe what happened to me at work? Man, this happened. Like, I, I said this, and this happened, and I got fired. Oh, I just can't wait to be with the family of God. And they asked for more boldness. Now, I'm not saying do something I'm like, oh, I hate my job. I'm ready to preach Jesus tomorrow, baby. <laughs> that is so messed up. <laughs> You're going to do that, aren't you? This guy already has, I just destroyed his plan just single-handedly right now. So you have every right to be like, did you like your job? No. Oh, Don't do that. Be faithful in it, believing that you're going to stay there for the rest of your life. Oh, gosh, that's scary to think about. Just be faithful. Let God move you on. But if he gives you an opportunity, preach boldly. Preach boldly. If he gives you that opportunity. In other ways, live, you can live covertly. It's okay to do that. Use wisdom. And there's Bible passages that back that up. But also, if you're given an opportunity, you got to live overtly. You have to preach. You have to. I remember doing it all day long at Disney. Oh, they did not like me. Disney does not like the gospel, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Mickey's not saved. But so, and neither was Walt Disney as far as I, as I know. But, but I, 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 I want to I say they did not like that. But all day long. I mean, if I have to get paid $7.90 to stand in the sun, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm just going to, because if I don't, if I don't work there, I'll just go to Universal. If not there, I'll go to SeaWorld. I'll figure it all, you know, figure it out. But we got to live that way. And it was a joy to work for Disney for two years. While we're getting the church off the ground, it was fun. 
And I think I got to about 70% of my workforce, the gospel. Because I drive the carts around at ESPN, we drive around, hey, what's going on? You know, I just would talk to people. But using wisdom, and yes, there are times where, you know, it wasn't wise to say something. Like, I'm going to show my boss a thing or two. You know, no, what, what do you say? that's ridiculous. Don't do that. But don't, don't make Jesus look bad. So many Christians have done that. We've all done that. But when there's an opportunity, give people hope because they are curious. And I had so many people come up to me and say, hey, literally, it's almost like word for word from 1 Peter 3. It was like, just why do you believe this? Why do you, do, why do you believe this? And I mean, the, I, I, remember, I remember just praying for this guy's arm. And he, was, it was, he, had a, he got into a fight and he punched the guy. And then he got into a cast. I'm like, that's your problem. I mean, but, but extending grace and loving and just saying, hey, I'm just going to pray for you. I can't guarantee your healing, but I'm just going to pray that, that God would, because he was in a lot of pain. And I, he, I prayed for him, and then I went to break. I came back. He's like, what the heck did you do? I was like, I didn't do anything. I just prayed for you. Why? Because I've. I've had pain this whole time, and I don't have a lot of pain anymore. And this, this is great. I said, he's like, what is it? And so I got to ex- tell him about Jesus and the gospel and how he needed Jesus pretty bad. I mean, he, he needed him. And that we're all sinners and that we've fallen short of the glory of God and we're separated from him. You can heal your arm, but you can be in hell and you can just all this stuff. And just being bold right there in the middle of, like, this game going on. I mean, it's just this happening. I mean, just, uh, everyone's flying all over the place, and it's crazy. You know, all these people from all these different places come and play soccer and all over the world. It was a great place to work. But we, I was just right there just giving the reason why I hope, why I have peace and joy. It is your responsibility when God opens up those doors to speak the truth, the whole truth. Because I'll tell you, it's really easy to just speak a half-truth, to kind of just be liked and kind of share. Because most of our goal is to be liked. You won't make it. You won't make it in the end times. You won't if you do that. We got to listen to our Lord. It says you will be hated. And I'm not saying go into every conversation cynical. Just go in every conversation saying, God, you've ordained this. You've opened this up. You're the sovereign over someone's salvation. Use me as a tool. Just use me. Enjoy. If you're in college, enjoy those jobs that you're making seven, eight dollars, nine dollars, whatever it is. I don't even know what that is now. It's fifteen. This for this guy. <laughs> Find out where he's working. <laughs> but but you know, enjoy that in college or you're early young adult. If you're going through you're going through a grad school and just enjoy those jobs because most of the time there are people there that are super open to the gospel. When you start getting into families and the, you know, people are more set in their ways and it's harder for them to change, but you still, families, you still got to, doesn't excuse you. But that's, that's why we planted this church near the college campus. Because we said, that's the future. We got to tap into that college and be faithful in preaching the gospel because they're open. They are. Jesus, his main ministry was to teenagers. Peter was 20 and the rest were under under 20. They're moldable. All right, number six, be thankful. Verses 24, it says, and when, when they heard this, they lifted their voices 
to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They have such a high view of God, a sovereign view of God, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. This is Psalm 2. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They knew from the scriptures that they would encounter persecution. And we know today from the New Testament scriptures that we will also encounter persecution. Verse 27, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They, that, that word Lord that they use in this context speaks of God's sovereignty. They understood that, hey, even though I was perse- even though we're persecuted, we understand that God has been sovereign. They came back not intimidated. They came back not hiding, not trying to come back and they're, oh, I don't want to ever go to work again. Please, I need to enter healing. No, 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 no. They came, they came back and they said, I need mute, I need encouragement. But man, we are more bold than ever to get back out. Just let me, and, and they're holding them back. Hey, we just got to fill you up again, get you, get your tank full. And then get out there again. That's what it was like. That's the feeling. That's the, the spirit of it. And then lastly, number seven, they prayed for boldness to expand the kingdom. It says in verse 28, to do whatever your hand, your purpose predestined to occurred. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, here's the, what I was mentioning earlier, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The only way that that kind of experience is gonna happen is after we are persecuted, we're saying, come on, let's go. Let's do it again. Let's ask for more boldness. That's something we need to be praying every day that we would have boldness. That's something that Paul even prayed in Ephesians 6, even the armor of God, knowing that we're in a, we're in a spiritual warfare. What did he say right at the end of that in verse 20? He says, I pray, Pray that I would have uh, the boldness for, to speak boldly the gospel because you know that environment. You know how intimidating it can be. You know how intimidating that is, isn't it? It's hard. It's awkward. It's like you're, 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 you can't speak sometimes. You can't get it out. But in, if God were to come in and, and partner with you, he's not gonna force you to ever speak the gospel. He's not, that's not what he's... He's, he's, he wants to partner, you want to co-labor with him to speak the, the scriptures. All right, I'll have the band come up. I don't know what time it is. 12.22, okay, awesome. Sorry, I went over again. <laughs> you're like, you're not repenting. <laughs> <laughs> That's not repentance. I love this. You guys know how much I love Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham's a... Of course, you know him. I don't, he needs no introduction. But there was a, an interview that he had with Jack Parr. None of you know him, probably, but he had a talk show in the 50s. It was kind of like the Tonight Show, if you will, but wanted to just be silly with Billy. And uh, I always... Uh, <laughs> I knew... <laughs> Case in point. But he was... <laughs> he was... He was uh, and he's been on many talk shows. There's, there's so many of these. But I just love the determination and the boldness that Billy had. 
He said, uh, uh, Jack Parr uh, said, hey, I guess you're here tonight to try to save my soul, sarcastically, and try to straighten my life out. You're probably going to try to get me to repent. You know, just kind of manipulating him into not doing that so they could just kind of keep it light. Billy smiled and said, well, Jack, have you thought about repenting? You know you need to. And yes, I'm concerned about your soul because without Jesus, Jack, you are going to perish. And then the show's show began. <laughs> how do you go from there? <laughs> it's, it's, so how are your tours and your family? <laughs> you know, it's like, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't teaching us to be uh, crass or he wasn't, wasn't teaching us to be rude, but he was teaching us to be bold. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be bold. It is. We've, I've been on both sides of it cowered in fear and didn't get to share like I wanted to. There's been other times where I've just maybe let too much loose at the time. And we are all there. That's, but we need boldness. And of course we need to do it in love. Truth and love are the same, by the way. There's, there's no difference. Truth and love are the same. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is love. He came in love. He, that's why he came. But we do need boldness, church. And boldness only comes when we're in his word and we actually really believe this message. That's the difference, I think, really, is that the church today, the modern church today, yeah, we do need boldness and we do need love. Of course, we we need that. We need gentleness. We need to respond well. But we need to believe this message, that people will, will perish without Jesus. And unless somebody tells them, they will perish. Now, of course, we know that God is sovereign and he's, he also causes us to be responsible um, in situations. I don't know how that all works out. Don't ask me to really explain all that. But I do believe that uh, it doesn't all, all the weight of salvation does not rely on us by any means. It's put on the shoulders of Jesus. But I want to be, I want to be obedient to when he opens up a door and I want to be bold to share exactly the truth that he wants me to share in that moment to that person and leave it to him. Sometimes we try to go too far to try to get coerce them into believing so it makes us look good. We can go home saying, hey, we got a convert. Trust God with the results. He didn't ask you to, he may not ask you to water, just throw the seed. Sometimes he asks you to water, sometimes not. But he brings the growth, always. He's the one that brings the growth. Some of us, we got to reap. Two people got to reap on this trip. Not many, right? A lot of these trips really have to do with being faithful to sowing the seed more than anything else and leaving God with the results. And like I said before, in, in Detroit, uh, we are going to D.C., which is really exciting, in April. So those of you that missed it, no excuse this time around. And we are going to the nation's capital because they need it more than ever before our country does. And we've been praying through D.C. for a number of years now, probably for two years at the back end of when we came back from Arkansas, it was at 2018. We've been, D.C.'s been on my heart for, for two years at least, not more. And we're going to go in April. Uh, and next month, we're going to go on a scouting trip for two days, D.C. in December with a, with a group. And we're going we're gonna to believe for our nation because the borders haven't opened, so God is obviously highlighting our nation. For so many years, people were like, well, what, your own backyard needs it. And, you know, parents try to get us to not go to the jungles of Ecuador, trying to say how how more holy it is to be in Orlando or our nation. 
uh, their prayers got answered. <laughs> Mom and dad's prayers got answered. They always do, don't they? But we, we do want to be faithful in our country here. It is important to focus now, shift here, but not, not neglect the nations of the earth because they need it. And they've never heard, right? That's the greatest injustice we'll ever see in this, on this earth, this planet. More than anything else, the greatest injustice is for, for those who have never heard to never hear the gospel and to perish without Jesus. And so we want to make sure that the nations in D.C., they're like, I think, number three or four in the list of the most diverse cities in America. And we'll show you the stats in the coming days of the different places, the different groups of people groups that they have in D.C. that we'll, we'll get around. Uh, but for now, let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for the capital. Let's pray for our leaders. And First Timothy, now more than ever, First Timothy 2 comes into play, uh, that we need to pray that, uh, that there's for their salvation so that it might go well with all of us. And when it doesn't, we'll still be bold. Um, and when we're persecuted, we'll actually be strengthened as a church like we never have before. So Father, thank you for giving us truth, for giving us already in advance, boldness for those conversations in the workplace, for those conversations on campus. God, may we be a bold church, a biblical church. May we never compromise both in integrity and our words, our tone, our intimidation. God, may we not compromise in any way, but may we have such boldness and wisdom in every conversation. Like it says in Colossians 4, may our words be seasoned with salt so we might be, be able to answer everyone who comes our way, whether it's a believer or a non-believer. God, give us more opportunities. Open up the door. May this be one of the greatest harvests and revivals we've ever seen. God, may you turn this thing around just as in the first couple of centuries of the church 2,000 years ago, there were such great revivals. And then when they became inst an institution and everything got comfortable with Constantine, then things began to slow down for the church. But I believe that we're going to be ramping up now. And I want to see, God, I personally want to see, I know the body, I know all of us want to see you move powerfully on this earth. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would use us in this hour. Give us a biblical mindset. Help us to see the way you see I pray against the political spirit in this church and the religious spirit. May we never, ever, ever, ever again put hope in a man. May we put hope in you, Jesus, in your ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. We know that you're sovereign in this earth. We know that you put in different people in leadership for your own purposes, and we believe that you are sovereign in whatever you have done, whatever you're bringing in in this next season. We trust you with it. And may we, we may not agree with it, and neither do you. But though we will be submitted and trusting, may we, your face shine upon us. May we look like, may we have the countenance of Jesus everywhere we go. May we not be like the world. May we be the true church that you came to save and to use to bring others into this kingdom, both here and far away. In Jesus' name. And they said, amen. All right, I have two responses this morning. One, the first response is repenting 
of, of places in our hearts that we have been uh, neglecting that place of holiness in our life and where we have maybe looked at a brother or sister who is living that out that way and they've made us uncomfortable, we need to repent of that. That we don't want to be like that. That's not the church we want to be. If we all look at Jesus and we all look at him and we're all desiring holiness, that's a pursuit of all of us that we don't look at our, to the right or left and compare. That will destroy us and the enemy is lurking to destroy the inside of this church so that we might implode but that we would turn our focus not on each other, but outside these doors. And we need to repent for ways that maybe we've neglected that time to share the gospel boldly and that we might be empowered. The second response is that we might be empowered and we might ask God to fill us with the spirit and empower us to be bold witnesses in this time, in this hour. All right, sound good? So Ricky will uh, play worship. He's finally up here. Kevin, way to go, bud. We'll, um, we'll just spend some